Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords, and welcome to a very special show number 420. Our guests for today's show are going to be the ROI crew and Taronda Spencer, historian and archivist for Spelman College, who was our guest for show number 47, and Dr. James Kibbe, world-renowned expert on Bach, who was our guest for show number 135. Both of these are award-winning shows, and so we are excited to show to uh, give you some uh, a little blast from the past and uh, give you a sense of what ROI has been doing over the last uh, 12 years or so. Our history buff for today is Terry Toppler. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Sapsapital. And our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of the show called Farouk Tanaran. History is local. And today we'll be talking about two ROI award-winning shows, show number 47 and show number 135 with the ROI crew. And uh, we'll start with show number 47 with Teronda Spencer, historian and archivist for Spelman College, and later on show number 135 with Dr. James Kibbe, world-renowned expert, easy for me to say, on Bach. Welcome to the award-winning shows. Let's start off with a little background on our ROI in the early years. Jay, do you have something to say about I, this? I do. We can do a little uh, two-minute retrospective, I guess. ROI started in December of 2007. That's our first set of shows. And uh, it really was the genesis of our uh, other co-host, John Keeley, who was really constantly being asked, as most history teachers are by adults, you know, history is really fun to talk about now. Why don't adults adults. You know, I hated it when I was a kid, but there's nowhere really to go for adults to talk about history. And that really was the germ that started ROI. And so John talked to me. I was skeptical. John would be more than happy to tell you that, uh, you know, I had some doubt about whether or not you could make a uh, history show work. Nobody was doing history like that on radio. There still aren't uh, many folks doing history like that on radio, uh, although there, thanks to uh, the proliferation of podcasts, there are a lot of folks doing podcasts on history-related topics. But we were really very much cutting edge uh, at that point. And so we started uh, that original uh, season um, and in, through 2008, uh, we were an hour-long show, interestingly enough. We had one national uh, national idea or concept guest and one local concept guest. But by the time we won our first award um, in uh, 2010, or excuse me, 2009, by the time that happened, uh, we had changed format down to a half-hour show, uh, which is what we are still now. Um, and uh, so you're going to get to hear that... that um, early version of the half-hour broadcast, or at least some some pieces of it. Uh, That first award-winning show was taped in June of 2009, and it featured Taronda Spencer, 
who was the chief archivist and historian for Spelman College. And Spelman College was the first all-black women's college in the United States. It's in Atlanta. And we were tuned into Taronda through a history buff named Madube LeBeau, who is a uh, professor at the wonderfully named University of Indiana, Purdue University at Indianapolis, which goes by the title Ooey Pooey. <laughs> Easy for you to say. Yes. Eh? Um, and uh, she's an expert on early African-American history in the United States. And so she tuned us into Toronto and Spelman College because we had been talking with her about uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. And he uh, was very much instrumental in making Spelman College happen. Um, and so we got a hold of her, and she was amazing and the the foresight of the college to have kept uh so many of those early materials and then to have hired a full-time archivist and historian to not only maintain those materials but then to talk about them and write about them and publish them and so forth and so on uh we hit a gold mine we didn't know what we were going to get but we really did um the first clip i think i'm going to have you listen to is uh, the question being asked uh, by one of the history buffs of just what happens to be in the collection at Spelman College. And two things I want you to listen for. First of all, Taronda's absolute joy at talking about her materials. She really does have a passion and a love for what she's doing. And then just the sheer volume of what's there. So go ahead and listen to this little clip and, and enjoy Taronda at her best. Um, Toronto, I um, I love going to archives. I'm someone who really enjoys the kind of treasures that you find there. And when I've also had the privilege of bringing students there, and they've always been really excited. But um, usually the archivists bring out some really special things that get people to give them a taste of what they might find there. I wondered if we came into your archives, what are some of the things that you'd like to show us that show that would really give give us a sense of what Spellman is all about? Well. Um, that's a great question, and thankfully, Spelman is an institution that um, can document its history from the very first day it opened, as well as the lives of our founders, uh, Sophia Packard and Harriet Giles, at least 30 years before uh, they even arrived in Atlanta. They left behind um, uh, day books or journals uh, that actually begin in 18. 45. So we have about 45 of uh, those day books that uh, we have in our archives. And they talk about their lives before coming to Atlanta and then the founding of Spelman College and all of the work that they put into making it into an institution that would survive for 128 years. We have copies of uh, the very first catalog. And you have to remember, this is a school for black women and girls in the 1880s when very few people thought that black women needed any kind of education. So we have our first catalog that lists um, a solid normal school education and that included courses in Latin and physics and algebra, even though they didn't have students 
um, who were yet ready to take those courses. But it was that kind of uh, expectation for the women who came to this school that was put forth in those uh, catalogs. We have letters from uh, young women asking to come to Spelman and or uh, letters from their pastors or teachers that said, Mary is a good girl, please let her into your school. And oftentimes they would just arrive at the gate with mm. their suitcase and this letter. Uh, we have, you know, letters from employers who say that, uh, you know, Miss Miss Lee has been a great teacher in our school district. If you have any other teachers of her uh of her caliber, please send them to us. And and all of this is great um, material that talks about the women who came to Spelman and the work of Spelman to prepare them to go out into the world. All right. So, Rick, I'm going to let you um, have the first sort of response to this, because I'm thinking you are trained as a political uh, scientist sort of kissing cousin to a historian. And so the idea of, of an archive and an archivist and what you might be able to do, I think would have some appeal to you. What do you get out of listening to Taronda talk about her stuff? Well, uh, obviously the passion. You can tell the passions in her vo voice and, and the pride. She's just hugely proud of, of this legacy. And, I mean, it's such a unique reality that uh, uh, this – college was set up for uh, not only African Americans, but women who barely were perceived as human back in the 19th century. But it, it's uh, the foresight that uh, uh, the, the people at the college, I just think it's amazing, but it's just a teeming treasure trove of, of tremendous information. Uh, it's going to take uh, Taronda her lifetime to weed through this, I believe. <laughs> Terry, as a as a librarian, again a kissing cousin, sort of of an <laughs> of an archivist. Um, what jumps out at you from listening to that? Well, I think the importance of documented history uh, that was not lost because she mentioned how their history had been documented from the beginning. And then in very personal diaries and letters and like the 45 day books that they have in their collection, how that really brings history alive because history should not just be uh, statistics. It needs to be you know, personified. And it's learning about those individuals that walk through those doors and what they learned and what they, how it changed their lives is very important. Well, and speaking of preserving history, sometimes preserving history is not necessarily a great idea. So um, for Terry in particular, the second clip that we're going to listen to is uh, one that was set up by uh, my conversation kind of poking fun a little bit at a uh, friend of John Keeley's who's a librarian. And and I made the comment, and I won't tell you what I say because I'm going to have to repeat it on, on in the clip. Uh -oh. But I made a comment that that John felt desperately needed to be brought up to Taronda and and get her take on it. So uh, please uh, kind of listen in here on the uh, the opportunity of Jay putting both feet and maybe an ankle into his mouth and you disappeared on and, the radio is what and, you're and swallowing, swirling it around a little bit. 
Taronda, that sounds simply fantastic, and I can't help it. But I've got to take this train a little bit off track. My good friend here, Jay Swords, has an opinion about high school librarians. <laughs> and I just have a feeling that archivists are the exact opposite of these folks. Now, all two librarians that are going to download our site are probably going to hate us for this. But he has a very profound statement about high school librarians. And it, in my opinion right now, it seems to be the exact opposite of what you do. Please tell the world what your theory is, Jay. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I might as well be hated and get hate mail from everybody because I think it applies to librarians in general. I don't think you have to limited to just high schools all right, well, okay they'll all hate you <laughs> but, but tell me that's right but but i really do believe that secretly in their heart of hearts librarians believe that they would be much better off if no one came in to oh, check out the books no. <laughs> <laughs> because because every time i've ever taken a group of students to a library now granted it's usually a high school library but you're always you walk in and, and immediately well, you get that feral. you get the look <laughs> don't touch anything you know don't misfile anything because you're going to make work for me. Then you usually get the finger, and I don't mean a middle one. I mean the one that goes up to your lips that's usually followed by shh. You know, because you can't actually talk about any of the cool things that you actually that you see there at the moment because you'd be disrupting the chairs that are unoccupied. <laughs> now, the way that you describe the archivism here, uh, it's the exact opposite. I mean, that's right. It I'm, sounds I'm, like I'm a really place where everyone welcome. Well, okay, but see, guys, you got to put it in a different kind of context. <laughs> when you bring your student group to the library, don't just show up. Call the librarian in. You mean we're supposed and to do that? She will, <laughs> and she will bring out the very best of her of her collection, and she will be so happy to talk to your students and and have them touch things and read passages. Oh, she would be so happy to do that. It's only when you show up, it's like, oh my gosh, here they come. I'm not quite ready for them. And I've got people in the library who really just want us to shut up, leave them alone. <laughs> well, I, what I can see is that I need to make a field trip to Atlanta. Oh, yes. Without a doubt. And, uh, and come visit you. And, and I promise I'll give you a heads up that I'm, <laughs> I'm in the neighborhood. You, you will be more than welcome. You will be more than welcome. In fact, if you could bring those high schoolers who you talk about, that would be even better. Outstanding. Oh, we, de we definitely love you. Now, the question back to it in all seriousness. All right. Um, I have never enjoyed being taken to the woodshed as much as I did there. She is so wonderful in the way that she deals with this miscreant who's asking her whether or not who's who's bashing her profession. Um, it's you know it's fabulous. Yeah, and you've heard of dead man walking. <laughs> Yeah, and and what's really sad is I never got a chance to to go to Atlanta to Spelman College, and I never got a chance to bring students. And unfortunately, uh, Taronda died about four years after this was um, this was taped, uh, and and that's really sad um, because she was everything you would want a librarian to be and more, as you can hear in those clips. Um, and, you know, she was just an amazing guest. We were not surprised that this was a winner because, she, you know, she made the show work and it was really fabulous. Um, we're going to wrap things up here. So I'm going to ask Terry, you can just give one more uh, <laughs> comment, response, whatever, and then I'll go to Rick and then we'll wrap up this first section of the show. 
Well, there has to be a disclaimer, because I did listen to it, the full version. So there are now three librarians that listen to this. <laughs> and my first reaction was like, what? <laughs> uh, I've never had a quiet library. I have a children's library, and it's full of uh, energy and vim and vigor. But anyway, having said that, I now know why John didn't show up. Because right. we, we would have had words, John. Hello. <laughs> uh, but no, I... I I think I love what she said, you know, it's very student focused. And, you know, her response (laughs) to the banter was say, please bring your students down. I would love to have them. And I think, you know, that's what we do as librarians. We love to have children come and visit and be there. I thought Terry was going to mention that some of her experience with children when she goes in, and she loves children, but then she goes, picks up the book, and there's bubble gum between the pages. (laughs) It's part of the profession. And Johnny got got sick momentarily, and so what do you do? But no, it's... uh, I, <laughs> I'm surprised they kept you on the air. Jim. I know. <laughs> it it was uh, it, like I said. It was an honor uh, to be taken to the woodshed by Taranda, and it really was a great first, uh, a, a very deserving first show. So when we come back, we're going to have a lot more to uh, reminisce about. So please stay tuned for the next segment. This is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. The KALA website is your one-stop spot to find out more about your favorite radio station. Submit a public service announcement, catch up on news about KALA, and listening to any of our three stations, 885-1061 or The Stinger, is just a click away. Visit KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guests are the ROI crew and the members of... Uh, show 47, Taronda Spencer, who is historian and archivist for Spelman College, and show 135 with Dr. James Kibbe, world-renowned expert on Bach. And we are talking about the award-winning shows of ROI, 47 and 135, by the Iowa Broadcast News Association. Our history buff for today's show is Terry Toppler. And so... Uh, we did Taranda 47 uh, in the first segment. Now it's time to move on to show 135 with Dr. James Kibbe. Dr. James Kibbe uh, came to us not because of his musical expertise, but because he was a graduate of Davenport West High School. And West High School had decided that it was going to create a ring of honor. Um, that they were going to to look at high achieving graduates and and do a ceremony and put up a plaque in the building and so forth to kind of celebrate those, and so Dr. Kibbe's name was one of the names that showed up on that list, and so that was kind of the genesis. And you know, always with these sorts of lists, you have you know the football coach and you know the person who becomes the captain of industry or whatever. Uh, but Dr. Kibbe was really interesting 
because when we went out and looked at it, he had just, when we, we taped this in um, 2013, in January of 2013, he had just done a record collection, a CD collection, like 12 or 14 CDs. He had played all of Bach's work on a period organ. And by that, I mean the organ actually had to be pumped. The billows had to be pumped by an assistant as he played this in this wonderful church, I'm sure. Um, and so we'd, we'd gotten a hold of a couple of these, these CDs, and the music was so amazing that John and I both looked at ourselves and went, we got to talk to this guy. Um, when we got him on on air again you know sometimes this goes well you have an academician who who you know really gets it sometimes it can be like pulling teeth i'm i'm used to functioning in my own little world here radio freaks me out a bit dr kibby was one of those guys who loved radio he just he took to it like a duck to water he was he was great and you'll hear in the clips that we do just listen to him talk he is not intimidated by the fact that he's on the radio or that these two guys who don't know much about music are asking him questions. Um, I, I think I said at one point, it's not in one of our clips, but I think it said at one point that, that I would happily pay money to go take a class that Dr. Takibi is teaching. He is a consummate teacher, a fabulous lecturer, and his passion, again, that seems to be kind of the theme. His passion really comes through. Um, so... The first sort of thing that we that we were talking about a little bit um, was how Bach fits into the history. And John, in the clip that we're going to show, brings up the fact that Bach and another famous musician from Germany at the time, uh, Handel, actually applied for the same job at the same time. And that job had an interesting twist to it. So listen to the, uh, to the clip here as, as Dr. Kibbe explains to us the trials and tribulations of being a professional musician. Um, one quick question, of course. Uh, being taught about Bach, you, I won't say have a rival, but you have someone that is born in the same year. I think there's a month difference between the two gentlemen, and that's uh, Handel. Yeah. And now, if I recall, because Handel's born in Germany, but he adopts England as his home, and was there, there and was there any correlation between the two? Did the men ever meet? I know you said that uh, Bach was renowned, but I, from what I read, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, and please do, Handel was someone that had the glory of attention during this time period. And widely traveled, widely known. Bach never traveled more than 250 miles from the place that he was born, where it handled, of course, went all over. Interesting that they were born just in the same region of Germany, so that people were doing something right, you know, to have <laughs> that same year, these, these two great people. There is a fascinating connection, though. They both uh, wound up applying for, at different times, the same job. Oh. Uh, up in the north of Germany, a, a, a church position. Both of them were interested in the job until they learned that one of the conditions of employment was that they had to marry 
one of the daughters of their predecessors. <laughs> wow. This, this is absolutely, I, honestly, I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is true. I wish I was that clever of a writer. At that point. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's pretty amazing. Isn't that odd? <laughs> well, and I could see so many directors taking that and really oh, yeah. taking it out of the yeah. park. <laughs> so... <laughs> Again, you know, when you think that your job interview was tough, <laughs> think of what this had to have been whole like. Whole new dimension. Yeah, whole yeah. new dimension. So, so to me, that what makes that clip funny is is not just the situation, but it is, but it's the glee in Kibby's voice as he's telling yeah. the story, and later on he goes on to tell us that that not only was this the daughter of a predecessor, she is not a beauty queen contestant. <laughs> there, there is a reason that she's part of the negotiation deal uh, uh, for this. And so, you know, both of them, you know, they're going to take the job. You know, this is really great. It's wonderful. And then the catch comes in. And now I've got to figure out how to back away from this as quickly as possible. Um, I don't know. What, what did you think of this clip? It's an interesting thing. And I don't know that anybody had, has heard of that much. You know, it's one of those quirky little pieces of history. <laughs> I, it's, uh, I'm just kind of stunned. We had a, we, if, if you remember, we had a, a show a few weeks back about... Uh, Amazon women, yeah, and I, I'm thinking that uh, women's roles uh, in constructing societies in Europe and Asia and throughout the world have been hidden from view, and so I'm I'm thinking when when I heard the clip uh, that uh, this is just another piece of of uh, employment activity that has been hidden <laughs> from from everyone's sight. Here's the deal. <laughs> Here's the deal. <laughs> Terry, is there, is there an element of misogyny in this somewhere? Or, I mean, you know. I was trying to avoid that. How does know. it... Uh, how does it feel to hear about it and, and then to know that... Because you know, it feels to me, as a historian, that's the stuff I would want to know. I would that's I would put that in every book I wrote about Bach, you know, and and Handel. So and yet it seems to have been ignored. So how do you approach that? Well, I definitely want to know that before I sign the contract. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I find it interesting. In fact, in my own family history, uh, the oddest teaching contract I'd ever heard of was my grandfather's first teaching contract in Iowa. Uh, he signed it on the back of a horse. Um, while he was traveling with the uh, superintendent, I believe, at, or the county superintendent at that time. And in the contract had all these social um, things you could not do, like you could not go to dances in the town that you were teaching in. Oh, um, sure. You couldn't gamble, you couldn't drink, et cetera, et cetera. So, but I've never heard of a contract saying you need to marry my daughter. <laughs> right. <laughs> Be, right, before you can have the job. Yeah, right. yeah very interesting uh, process. Um, for me, the other appeal of doing Bach was that my maybe favorite piece of music ever is Bach's Fricata Fugue in D minor. It is, I think, the on most... The, on the, the organ. Yeah, it's it's yes. the most famous organ piece ever. Um, it showed up in movies. It's the piece being played in Phantom of the Opera. Um, you know, and so I, I had to find out what the history was because if you go look for the history of that piece, there's very little there. 
there isn't a lot of explanation or whatever. And so I figured here's the horse's mouth that could finally explain to me the the background behind this iconic piece of music. Um, and so uh, listen to, to Dr. Kibbe explain how this was really put together. Welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined, discussed, and the question is asked, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And this is the Raptured Jay Swords. <laughs> nice, I like that. <laughs> um, this is our website extended segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Uh, our noted guest for this 135th show is Dr. James Kibbe. Dr. Kibbe is both a professor of music at the University of Michigan and an internationally renowned authority on the organ music of Johann Sebastian Bach, who started us off, I believe. Isn't that uh, Fugue in D minor? Toccata and Fugue in D minor. You're absolutely right. Boy, not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> First he thought he was Ozzy Osbourne. I had to correct him. Actually, you know, <laughs> it's pretty damn close. Yeah. Oh, quiet. Get reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dr. Kibbe is going to talk to us uh, about box work and its relevance. Uh, since we don't have any deciders for today's show, we're going to jump right back in. And since we started with that that's my that's my question i've always wanted to know if there was um some historical background to the writing of that piece that we knew that we know about some notes what was going on in his life um you know what he was writing for i'm I'm always fascinated by the process of creation and since that i think is probably at least to the public the most uh recognizable piece of box i would love to know what kinds of interesting uh tidbits would be floating around about it yeah we'd all like to know this is there's so much that's not known about a lot of the circumstances there's a great uh, American box scholar, a professor at Harvard, uh, Christoph Wolf, probably the, the leading box scholar in the world. He gave a lecture here at University of Michigan a couple of years ago precisely on that, about what's known, what's not known about that one piece, Toccata and Fugue in D minor. And he explained that it was almost certainly written by Bach as a, a test piece, as an example, probably for a job audition. It's not known for exactly which job, but it shows certain aspects where he was was showing off in a variety of ways as a composer, as an organist, for some special occasion like a, a job audition. And then the reason, seriously, why this is so popular, this is the the most recognized piece of organ music ever written, is thanks probably not so much to Bach, but to a later musician, Felix Mendelssohn in mm-hmm. Germany, mm-hmm. who led the Bach revival. It was mm-hmm. Mendelssohn who, close to a hundred years later, played that piece all over Europe. I mean, that, it, it was he who popularized it as the, the most recognized piece of Bach. So, so first of all, the irony there is just staggering, isn't it? That, that here's a piece of throwaway music. I'm just goofing around. Test, test. Yeah, and and then it's it's gone as as he intended. It disappears for a hundred years, and then it gets resurrected by somebody completely different, and suddenly it becomes maybe the most recognizable piece of music in the world. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, and, <laughs> and think of it this way. At least he didn't have to marry his predecessor. Yeah, daughter. right. Apparently, you know. <laughs> but it just Did he get the job? Do we know that? <laughs> no, apparently not. I, I don't think he did, actually. Um, but uh, I don't know. Terry, what do you think? What a, what, an in, what a fascinating story, don't you think? Oh, exactly. I think it's interesting that we don't know when we put uh, creative works out there how it's going to be taken from there for the next generation or in the next 10 years or 100 years from now and how it influences people uh, in the future. We just don't know yet what that implication is. And, and speaking of not knowing what implications are, so this was our podcast. It's not our first podcast, but right. it's one of the early podcasts. And to be able to start off a podcast with that music piece. Pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. And then John coming in over top of it, very nice. You know, yeah. I, I, think, uh, I think that may be maybe my favorite podcast start ever. Um, so, so not bad work for a couple of no, hacks. In fact, I was going to add, add one thing to Terry's comment. It was a throwaway piece. It was a test. It was just a show off. And then it, whether he got the job or not, he apparently put the piece in his satchel and put it on a shelf and forgot yeah. about it. And who knows yeah. where, where Mendelssohn found it. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, if you stay tuned to the podcast for this show, we're going to talk a little bit about what Box Legacy was in his own lifetime, and it's pretty fascinating and ties into this. Um, but when we come back, we're going to wrap up the radio portion of this retrospective show. So we hope you stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 420th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled Kayla Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zap Zapital. My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guests, the ROI crew, and Taronda Spencer, historian and archivist for Spelman College in show 47, and Dr. James Kibbe, world-renowned expert on Bach, from show 135. And we've been talking about the award-winning shows of ROI from the Iowa Broadcast News Association. The history buff for today's show was Terry Toppler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We'd like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotza Pula Nala, P.
peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians, whether we're doing retrospective shows or doing it live, are still horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.